This morning we'll be in the book of 1 Thessalonians again. We began our study of 1 Thessalonians last Sunday. And we saw that uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, is believed to be the first epistle, the first letter that Paul writes to any of the churches that he had a ministry with. And Thessalonians, uh, that, the church at Thessalonica, was a church that Paul helped to begin. And Paul wrote the first chapter, as we saw last week, being very thankful for the ministry, the successful ministry of the church at Thessalonica. And he writes to encourage them in that and, and express his gratitude for their ministry, for their work there, and how great an example. So that when Paul is traveling in his missionary journeys on this in his second missionary trip, when he comes to other churches or to other towns, he, he often finds that the people have already heard of him, partly through the ministry of the Church of Thessalonica. And this morning, as we look forward to the Labor Day weekend, tomorrow being Labor Day, in which we celebrate those who work in the labor part of our economy, and uh, some will be still laboring on Labor Day, many will be taking the day off, um, some may be laboring in some other project on this uh, extra day off of uh, vocational work. But whatever, in whatever way we are um, celebrating Labor Day or Labor Day weekend, it's a good time for us to remember that as believers, as God's children, we are all in one, in some respect, laborers for God. In that we represent Christ on this, on this earth. And we have a role to play as his child in this life. God may not call each one of us uh, to, does not call every believer to be a missionary or a preacher or a teacher. But he has labor, he has work for us to do in our role of fulfilling the Great Commission. In bringing the gospel to others whether it be through our labors and giving and praying toward the missionary efforts and, and preaching efforts of, and teaching other efforts of others or also in supporting in some other role. And I appreciate the roles that so many have played this summer in uh, helping the church with the parsonage and with the church building, with the flea market, and everything else, that in every other area that different aspects of, of labor come into the ministry of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we find four traits for those laboring for God, four needed traits for those who labor for God. Let's open in prayer again this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that I would be able to project that uh, through the sound system as well, that everybody be able to hear this message. I pray that you'd focus all of our hearts on your word. In the exposition of your word, and I pray that you'd help me to communicate clearly the message from your word for us this morning. I pray it would be one that would encourage us, that would uh, remind us of how you want us to walk and to serve you with our lives for your glory this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll start by reading the entire passage through, and then we'll look at the four needed traits. And those four traits are that a laborer needs to be trustworthy, 
Laborers must seek to please God rather than men. And laborers must have servants' hearts. And fourthly, laborers must be blameless in representing Christ. Let's read through the passage and then look at each of those needed traits of a laborer for Christ. Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor, and there's that word, which we are remembering this weekend, labor. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses. And God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So the first trait, the first needed trait of those who would labor for God is that we must be trustworthy. We see this in the first four verses of this passage. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. So Paul is speaking. He's appealing to the Thessalonians, reminding them of their example that they had set, and reminding him that their ministry there in Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians, is a proof that all the work, all the entering in, the fact that they stopped in Thessalonica, a place where God called Paul specifically through a vision to that area in which Thessalonica was a chief city in Macedonia. And Paul had had the vision in Acts, I believe, chapter 16 of a man saying, come over and help us. And so Paul was specifically called to go and help in Macedonia and bringing the gospel and planting churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica being one of the chief cities there. And his work was not in vain because the Thessalonians, their church, their ministry is fruitful. It is one that is exemplary in that region of the world. 
Macedonia being just north of Greece and Paul continuing his journey south into Greece after planting the church there in Thessalonica in his second missionary journey as seen in Acts 16 and Acts 17. And he mentions in the next verse, verse 2, But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Notice that a trustworthy laborer, for God is bold. He is bold. Even though Paul encountered resistance to his ministry at Philippi, he continued to Thessalonica. At Philippi, he had been imprisoned along with Silas, and they had been beaten and their feet put in stocks. And God had brought an earthquake that night as they were singing, praising God. After being beaten and put in stocks, they were singing in the prison and praising God in Acts 16. And then the prison doors were all open. The, pr- the prison jailer came in ready to kill himself as the punishment for letting any prisoners free would have been death. But they were all there, Paul and Silas. And he asked, the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16.31. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But then they had to leave. They were, they were the, the next day, um, the Philippian jailer had brought them, Paul and Silas, to his own home. And his household believed and were baptized. The Philippian, uh, Philippian jailer treated their wounds. And then word came from the authorities there at Philippi that they were to leave immediately. Um, and they, they were... Uh, the Philippian authorities found out that Paul, and si- that Paul was a Roman citizen, so their beating of him was illegal. And so they um, were very disturbed by that. But Paul did not allow the fact that he needed the, the persecution, the resistance to his ministry at Philippi. He did not allow that to discourage him in continuing to another city. But rather he brought the gospel here to, to Thessalonica and it bore fruit in the form of the church here among the Thessalonians, which he praises in chapter 1, as we saw last week, as we looked at the fruit of the gospel. So he was willing to suffer. You see that in verse 2. Even after we had, been, had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold. So a trustworthy laborer must be bold. He does not allow the suffering, the opposition, to stop him. Notice that it, he says in the end of verse 2, bold in our God. So not in of themselves and their own strength, but bold in God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Contention refers to the resistance that he experienced. It wasn't, it was, his message was not simply accepted by everyone. There was a resistance. There was an argument. There was a pushback wherever he went, often from the Jews, sometimes from the government, sometimes from uh, those in the the market of selling idols he would encounter. uh, Many places he went, resistance and persecution for the gospel. But he continues on, and he's willing to suffer for the message's sake. And that's another 
characteristic of that trait of being trustworthy is he is willing to suffer. He's willing to suffer for the gospel. And, and sometimes suffering may come as a result of taking the path that is not the path of least resistance. What God has for us to do in serving him, sometimes it is not easy and, and sometimes it requires us to go through suffering. Whether that be suffering brought on persecution as in Paul's case or, or otherwise. Living the Christian life and, and laboring for God is not always easy. But a trustworthy labor is bold and a trustworthy labor is willing to suffer for the sake of the work of, of the gospel the work of serving god in whatever in whatever respect that he calls us to serve him with our lives and our work our labors a trustworthy laborer for god will not adjust his message a trustworthy someone you can trust to labor for the ministry will not adjust his message merely to please his audience. You see this in verse 3 and 4, how Paul and Silas and his companions were good examples of trustworthy laborers, and they did not adjust their message for the audience. Look at verses 3 and 4. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we allowed of God to be put in trust. There you see where I, where I bring the word trustworthy. Put in trust with. They're entrusted with the gospel. That is his labor for God. But we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. So look at verse 3. His exhortation, his encouragement was not of deceit. And sometimes today, um, if you were to turn on TV preaching, I won't mention any names, but sometimes there's preaching out there that represents the gospel, that focuses on what's in it for us, and focuses on the benefits and the rewards that come. And certainly there are benefits and rewards for being a child of of God. He He takes care of us. But also there's, there's difficulties in serving God. Laboring for God is not always easy. And there's sometimes suffering that comes with the Christian life. And sometimes more suffering than if we were not serving, if we were not laboring for God, if we were not God's child. And Paul experienced this. And so Paul is not preaching wealth and prosperity. He is not deceiving anyone. There's no deceit. There's no guile. He is being honest and true to the gospel, preaching it as God would have him preach, as Christ presented the gospel, as the Holy Spirit leads him in penning the words of this letter even. He is being moved by the Holy Spirit, and he is not in any way trying to deceive, trying to manipulate his audience, but rather he is being a faithful Laborer, He's being trustworthy. He has been put in trust by God with his ministry, laboring in the gospel ministry in many respects similar to a missionary in a foreign field labors today. Often we refer to Paul as a missionary, one of the, great, one of the first great missionaries of the Christian faith. 
in some respects, you could refer to him as evangelist as, or as a church planter as well. And that those are both ministries of a minister, uh, missionary as well. But he's faithful as a laborer for God. He's trustworthy. Notice, not as pleasing men in verse 4, but God which trieth our hearts. Paul is not focused on the people that he is serving, the people that he's bringing, although he cares very much, as you're going to see later in this passage, he cares very deeply about the people that he is reaching with the gospel. But he's not trying to please them to get their favor, to get anything from them, but rather he's doing it for God, who trieth the hearts. God knows our motives. He knows the motives of anyone who labors for him whether it be a preacher, a missionary, evangelist, a church planner, or a member of a church congregation who labors for God in any respect. God sees our hearts. He knows our motives. And Paul is trying to please God rather than men. And that's how we should labor for God. That's how we should be trustworthy laborers for God. So first, God's laborers must be trustworthy. That's the first needed trait for those who would labor for God. Second, God's laborers must seek to please God, not men. And I think I combine that with being trustworthy. So you see this part. Pick up with the end of verse 4 and continue into into verse 6. God's laborers must seek to please God, not men. And you see that at the end of verse 4, not pleasing men, but as God which try their hearts. And it continues into verse 5, this theme, this trait of pleasing God rather than men. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome, As the apostles of Christ. And that last part of verse 6 will continue into the third trait. But first, let's look a little bit more. In verse 5, continuing the idea of pleasing God rather than men. For neither at any time used we flattering words. So Paul is not picking his words to please the audience, as we already mentioned. And flattery can be a deceptive tactic used. And often people will use it when, when they want something from someone. They will flatter that person. They'll speak good of that person. And then they'll bring in their request. Oh, by the way, could you do me a favor? You know, after buttering someone up, as, as, you, often, as you may have heard the expression, to butter someone up for some purpose, to get something from them. And so Paul makes it clear this is not what he did in bringing them the gospel. He was not trying to get something from them. He was serving God by bringing the gospel to Thessalonica and everywhere he went. As you know, not nor a cloak of covetousness. A cloak of covetousness refers to, of course, a a garment that would cover would be the cloak. An outward outward garment, a, a jacket, a coat, a cloak. It could also be used as, as a blanket at this time in history. A cloak of covetousness. In other words, the gospel, his gospel ministry, his work is not going to be covered by covetousness. It's not going to be uh, his, what he is saying, in other words, his 
words are not covering up intentions beneath those words. In other words, the things that he say, that Paul says, are not meant merely to cloak his motives of getting something, of getting money or prestige or power or authority from the people he ministers to. Um, and, and sometimes that can be the case where you know, someone who is laboring for God outwardly, that would be the cloak, outwardly they're laboring for God, but really they're in it for what they can get out of it. And, and that is very important for each of us that serves, you know, beginning with, with me as the pastor, is to always make sure that our motives are pure and that we're serving God and that we're not just doing it at, at, for something that we can get, for some praise or, or payment or future favor that we can get from, serve, from our labors for God. So Paul is saying he is not, he, as a laborer, seeking to please men but God, and he is not covering up any covetousness through his labors. The covetousness is not there. He is not seeking to enrich himself through his labors for God, but rather to serve God. God is witness, he says in verse 5. He says, God is witness. God knows. God is his witness. He's emphasizing God knows his heart. God knows through his labors, that he has not been someone who's enriching himself. In fact, in other passages, we, from other passages, we know that Paul was, was bivocational, and this is part of the reason that in the early history of the church, there wasn't the, the resources to support him as a missionary, and, he, and even if there was, he did, wasn't going to demand it, perhaps partly because of his history of having been a very zealous persecutor of the church, where people might have wondered otherwise, Paul, you had been Saul, you had been so zealous against the church, what changed your mind? And if he had been taking money uh, rather than supporting himself as a tent maker, and that's not to say that uh, missionaries or pastors or evangelists should not be full-time. In fact, Paul emphasizes that in another passage where he talks about the uh, worker being worthy of his hire, uh, and the uh, ox not being muzzled. He talks about that in the same passage where he explains, goes on to explain why he himself was not receiving wages as a missionary, as a church planner, but rather he was working on the side as a tent maker and providing not for only his needs, but also for the needs of those who were traveling with him through his own labors, through his own uh, working with his hands. And it was because... He didn't want anybody to be able to accuse him of being in it for the money, to be, to be able to say, Paul, you were so zealous before against Christianity. Now you're for it. There must be something in it for you, for you to change your mind in that way. You must be, it must be because of this money that you're getting paid. That, that must be why you changed your mind. Uh, Paul wants to make sure that no one can accuse him of that. And at, at this point in the early church history, it may have been even more necessary, just as it's um, necessary right now for me to work on another job right now, um, to be bivocational, because we're early in, in, in the ministry here where we hope to see the church 
church grow and and perhaps transition into full-time ministry but in any case it's not for the as a job for money as Paul is saying but it's for the ministry of the church it's for serving God that that anyone who labors for God that is the purpose whether they're full-time or bivocational or just a member of the church the motive should always be serving God pleasing God not pleasing people and not benefiting oneself and so Paul defends himself in this way if anyone were, were accusing, if he is responding in this passage to any accusation that he somehow is benefiting from this gospel ministry, he's proving here, he's defending against that claim here by pointing out that that is not the case and that God is his witness and that his uh, the very lifestyle is a testimony against that. He's not receiving wages as, as a laborer and not that that would um, be wrong, but to give extra emphasis that that is not the case. He is supporting himself with his own labors as a tent maker. And finally, under a laborer must seek to please God, not men. A laborer for God must not seek the glory of men. So Paul's not serving covetousness, not something that he desires, but he's also not seeking glory. He's not bragging about the fact that, hey, look at me. I am giving all of my money to support everyone around me uh, through this tent-making ministry. He's not boasting and, and seeking glory for himself. He emphasizes this in the first part of verse 6. For of men sought we, nor of men sought we glory. So he's not trying to bring attention to himself here. He's, he's perhaps answering an accusation or perhaps setting forth the pattern for the church leadership in Thessalonica to follow that in their labors for God or for the church members in general, in their labors for God, not to be seeking the glory of men, not to be covetous and not to speak with flattering words. That's all part of the trait of a labor for God in pleasing God rather than seeking to please men, pleasing God. The third needed trait for someone who would labor for God is to have a servant's heart. We see this in the second part of verse 6 and continuing through verse 9. Verse 6, starting at the beginning, says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So here's the contrast that he starts this thought of having a servant's heart in the second part of 6. Whereas as an apostle, as an apostle, he might have pointed to his office, his authority as an apostle and said, because I am an apostle, you should pay me. Or because I am an apostle, you should listen to me. Because I am an apostle, you should give me glory. You should give me respect. You should serve me. You should do these labors for me. I will just designate what needs to be done, and you should do it. He's not saying that. He's saying instead he is following Christ's example, like Christ had taught his 12 apostles, his, his disciples, by washing their feet, that if anyone would be great amongst them, they should first serve others. And we see in verse 7 this thought continued. 
But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So he's giving the example of one who cares for young. And the word cherisheth brings out the idea of a mother bird who nurses her young, or a nursing mother. This is the idea of, of warming and taking care of and providing needed food and necessities for those under the care of that nurse. And so Paul uses the labor of a nurse for her children, whether a nursing mother or a nursing attendant, or even the example, as I mentioned, that comes to mind of the picture of a mother bird raising her young. Paul uses that as a picture of the type of ministry he had with the churches that he worked with. In verse 8, verse 8 continues the thought of having a servant's heart. For being effectually, affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. So it's not just the idea of a paid nurse, somebody who's paid to take care of them, but someone who is willing to give his life. That's what it means by impart his soul. Soul refers to his own life. He's willing to lay down his life for those he is serving. He has a heart, he has a servant's heart to take care of, to provide for the spiritual and gospel needs of those he is laboring in the ministry for. Rather than being burdensome as an apostle, he's being gentle, he's cherishing like a nurse cherishes her children and being affectionately he cares for he deeply cares affectionately desirous of you he has a deep care for the people and is willing to lay down his life willing to impart even his own soul and he speaks for those who are with him as well not just himself that they're willing to lay down their life the soul refers to their life and verse 9 continues this thought. For remember, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. And that word labor and travail. And so now, not just are we speaking of a nurse or someone who is paid to care for children, but someone's own mother. As, as you see those words, labor and travail, the work of a mother. For laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel. You know, a mother is not paid to take care of her children, but she does it out of the love that she has for her children. And that's the type of love and commitment that Paul has and that each one of us should have for our church, for our fellow believers, for the fellowship that we should have here at the Bible Church of Lakeshore. It's how much he cares, like a mother cares for her children and labors and works diligently and caring, willing to lay his own life down for the ministry that he has for the church of the Thessalonians and each church that he begins, each city where he takes the gospel, he is committed. He is laboring. 
laboring night and day, not chargeable to his, to his people. You know, the fact that he didn't receive wages from the people that he took the gospel to, you know, none of them could say, hey, you're, you know, none of them, he, he was not chargeable to them um, in the way that I would be chargeable um, to you since, since I am your pastor. He is not chargeable to them because they can't say, hey, you work for us, so you need to do this. Or you need, No, he's doing it of himself, of his own um, accord, and he, he's doing it because God is moving him to serve in that ministry of labor. And each one of us, any time we labor without that being something that we're charged with, something that we have to do, but something above and beyond, that's what Paul did and the example he gives to each one of us. That he's not chargeable. He's laboring night and day. He's going above and beyond what is expected of him in laboring for God and preaching the gospel. And so that's the third needed trait of someone who would labor for God is having a servant's heart like Paul and those who worked with him had servant's hearts. The fourth needed trait of someone who labors for God is to be blameless in their behavior, representing Christ. Each one of us is an example of Christ, a picture of Christ to the world. And of course, one of the, the most common excuses we hear sometimes from those who don't want to hear the gospel is, well, what about the, those who claim to be Christians? They, they don't act any different from me. Or, um, but one of the most common on the other side, one of the most common reasons people are interested in the gospel is because they see a good example of a, of a faithful believer. And they want to be like that person. They say, yeah, that person has something I don't have, and I, I want to know what it is. So we need to be that good representative of Christ. Let's look at verse 10, in verses 10 through 12. A laborer must be a good example of the believers. God's, God's laborers must be holy, just, and blameless. Look at verse 10. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And so he gives the example that he has set and encourages them to follow in that example, to be examples for the world, to be that light of the world that Jesus referred to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid in Matthew 5, verses 12. Verse 12. In verse 11... We see that a laborer should behave toward those he serves as a father would behave toward his children. A father is an example for his children. Verse 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So, you know, a good father helps provide instruction, helps provide a good example for his children to follow. And verse 11, that is what Paul tries to do for those that he labors in the gospel ministry. As you know, how we exhorted, how we encouraged, how we comforted, and how we charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And then verse 12, the goal for someone who labors for God should be discipleship, should be that others will follow. You know, 
if everyone in our churches, if everyone in our communities, if everyone in our country were to behave the way we do in our life, would that be good? The answer hopefully will be yes, and that is the, should be our goal. In verse, verse 12, we see this with Paul, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And that word that is continuing the thought of verse 11, the reason Paul is behaving as a father for his children is that they will follow his example, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. You know, God has given us such a great gift in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He loved us so much. We owe him so much honor for that gift that he has given to us. We could never earn it with any good things that we do. But our labors, our life, should reflect the gratitude that we have for that tremendous and precious, priceless gift of Christ. And we're going to remember that gift this morning with the communion service, with the Lord's Supper, as the, as the, as the element representing bread pictures Christ's body that was broken for us. And the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us in payment for our sins. And so we should walk worthy of God. And Paul tries to provide a good example for the church of Thessalonica in his own behavior and his own labors so that they will follow that example and also be laborers for God that walk worthy of God. So now we've seen four needed traits in this passage, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, four traits needed for those who would labor for God. First, we saw that God's laborers should be trustworthy. They should be willing to face persecution and go through suffering. They should be able to be trusted with the gospel message, not deceiving anyone, but speaking God's word honestly and truly. Secondly, we saw that laborers for God must please God rather than men. Not to be in it for any, whatever we can get for our labors for God, but only serving God. That our heart motive would be to please God, not to please the people, although we care very much about the people that we bring the gospel to, the people that we work alongside with, the people that we try to disciple for God. Our labors ultimately are for God. And there's no cloak of covetousness. We're not hiding any ulterior motives and God is witness. God is the one watching. And we're not seeking for glory for men or praise of men or trying to flatter anyone or receive flattery, but rather glorifying God with our labors. And second, we saw, third, we saw that God, God's laborers must have servants' hearts, that our hearts should be to serve rather than be served to labor for God and not to receive some benefit, some praise for our labors, but to dedicate that to God and 
and be an example, which is the fourth trait, is that we would be blameless in representing Christ, blameless as a representative, someone who is a good example of how God's child should live his life. As we celebrate Labor Day tomorrow, this afternoon, let's remember that each one of us, in some regard, our labor for Christ, as God has called us to play a role in fulfilling the Great Commission, bringing the gospel to the world through our lives, through our testimonies, through our prayers, through our support and participation in this, our local church, or if you are visiting in your local church, let us remember this, this Labor Day, and let us make sure that we are finding these traits, these needed traits of a labor for God in our lives for the glory of God and the ministry of our local church. Let's bow for prayer.